When looking at the recent trends for Shane Beamer and this football coaching staff in terms of recruiting, it's pretty obvious what strategy this staff is trying to employ. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also the lead staff writer over on Gamecocks Digest on SI.com. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And before we dive on into this Thursday edition of Locked On Gamecocks, I want to let y'all know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On College Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So obviously, the reoccurring topic throughout South Carolina's football program and the fan base this week has been recruiting, and for very good reason. The South Carolina Gamecocks, of course, landed Cam Pringle, the top prospect in the state of South Carolina for the 2024 class on Sunday afternoon, and then they followed that up on Tuesday afternoon by landing tight end Michael Smith out of Savannah, Georgia, one of the top tight end prospects in the 2024 recruiting class. But when taking a look at the big picture regarding recruiting for this football program, it is pretty clear what is happening here. And it looks very familiar when you look closely at it. Here's what's going on. Shane Beamer is using the Steve Spurrier formula. And we're going to break this entire thing down in just a couple moments. But first, in order to get an idea of the Steve Spurrier formula, we need to go back and we need to take a peek at the 2009 and 2010 recruiting classes. Two recruiting classes that longtime Gamecock fans, of course, famously remember as the recruiting classes that changed the perception of South Carolina's football program when the head ball coach was here in Columbia. In the 2009 recruiting class, South Carolina signed four of the top six prospects from the state of South Carolina. And that group included Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Holloman, Demario Jeffrey, and Alshon Jeffrey. Three of these guys went on to play in the NFL, and two of them had at least eight or nine year-long NFL careers. One of them is still playing in Stephon Gilmore. A pretty talented group, needless to say. In the 2010 recruiting class, the Gamecocks continued to go after some of the best prospects in this state and nabbing some of them as they signed four of the top eight prospects in the Palmetto State in 2010, including guys like Marcus Lattimore, Bruce Ellington, who of course started with the basketball program but later transitioned over to the football team. They also signed A.J. Can and Victor Hampton. All four of these guys were pivotal players in that golden era of South Carolina football between 2010 all the way through 2013. The winningest stretch, obviously, in South Carolina's football program's history. Now, that's what happened 14, 13 years ago in terms of recruiting. And as you can see here, the trend here is South Carolina got a lot of the top prospects from the state of South Carolina. And that's something that Shane Beamer and this staff are currently doing right now. 
in the 2023 class up to this point, because technically, as crazy as it sounds, it's not over yet. The Gamecocks have signed four of the top six prospects from the state of South Carolina, and this group includes Marquis Anderson, Xavier McLeod, Lenore Sellers, and Montague Rames. All four of these guys are expected to have a big impact on this program by the time their careers are done here. They also signed Elijah Davis, who was originally from Wagner, South Carolina, and the Gamecocks might be adding one more in-state prospect fairly soon, whom we'll touch on in just a little bit. Now, in the 2024 class, obviously, this class is in its infancy, and there's plenty of time left here. But as of this current moment, the Gamecocks have the top prospect in Camp Pringle committed. They are the perceived leaders for the second, third, and sixth best prospects from the state of South Carolina in offensive tackle Josiah Thompson, wide receiver Mazio Bennett, and safety Kelvin Hunter. And the Gamecocks are also heavily in the game for Blake Franks, who is the seventh best prospect in the state of South Carolina for this class. Now, why is it important for the Gamecocks to lock down the state? Well, there's a couple of obvious reasons here. First of all, obviously, it's your home state. And if you want to be perceived as a good college football program, you have to be able to keep the talent within your own state borders home. If you're allowing all of these big-time football programs, which South Carolina happens to be in a tough spot regarding that aspect with teams like Georgia, you know, a team like a Florida who's been good in the past, same with Florida State, Tennessee, teams that love to try to come in here and poach some of your top guys. If South Carolina was allowing this to happen all the time, then recruits all over the country would look at that and that would paint South Carolina in a negative light. It would make them look like they didn't care about their own. And if kids view it that way, and if their parents especially view it that way, they're probably a lot less inclined to think about South Carolina. So that's one reason. Another reason, South Carolina's state talent pool when it comes to high school football admittedly is quite inconsistent. It has its ebbs and flows. There are certain years like the 2023 class, where they got a ton of highly touted prospects, national-level prospects. And then there's also other years where they might not have a single, quote-unquote, four-star recruit, according to any major recruiting service website. South Carolina has those kinds of years. So because of that, high school relationships with the school administration and the coaches at these schools are still important. Yes, we are in a new era now where you can go to the transfer portal to get almost any kind of player that you want and maybe not have to work on developing them as much. Obviously, Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, he's pretty much now put most of his recruiting strategy towards the transfer portal. High school relationships are still important because guess what? There's going to come a time where you're going to need a young influx of talent to come in that you can mold and develop. And if you have severed those relationships with these high school coaches, it will come back to bite you. Maybe not immediately, but down the road, it will. Also, South Carolina is not at the point yet where they can take more of a national approach in terms of recruiting. They are kind of spread out sporadically. They have, of course, their home state that they try to recruit. They have the Southeast in general, North Carolina, all the surrounding states, basically. They also have the DMV, obviously very familiar for Shane Beamer and a couple of other coaches. And they also sporadically recruit in Texas because Justin Stepp's connections there and in the Northeast, especially because of Pete Lemo's connections. 
This is the exact same strategy that Steve Spurrier and his coaching staff used back in his heyday here at South Carolina. Recruit the state. Recruit the surrounding states. Recruit the DMV. Maybe not to the same extent that Shane Beamer prioritizes it, but they still recruit that DMV region. Got some good players out of there. Recruit some of the Northeast. DJ Mangus, especially the quarterback coach at that time. Recruiting the state of Delaware, recruiting the state of New Jersey, sometimes dipping into New Hampshire to get some guys. This is almost verbatim the same strategy that Steve Spurrier and his staff used. And now you're seeing it being used again by Shane Beamer and his coaching staff. And up to this point, they've had quite a great deal of success using this. And the way things are going, it seems like that they're gearing up to do even better down the road, especially starting with the 2024 recruiting class after already having taken a massive jump in terms of a national perception with the 2023 recruiting class. Speaking of 2023, the South Carolina Gamecocks are, of course, still going after just a couple of prospects that are left on their board. But one of those prospects is getting ready to make his final decision in Elijah Caldwell, as he'll be making his announcement later this afternoon. So what time is he announcing, and what are my thoughts leading into his commitment? We're going to dive into all this in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On in FanDuel because they are the number one sports book in America. They have so many great features that make betting on sports both fun and easy. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, where you'll find everything you need to know about college basketball in just one place. Plus, hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So Elijah Caldwell is going to be committing later this afternoon. This was first reported by Phil Kornblut of Sports Talk Media Network sometime early yesterday evening. This commitment is going to happen sometime between 1 and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I do not know of any, any official ceremony that's taking place for this. From what I can tell, it seems like maybe there's just going to be some sort of video or some sort of photo that's posted by Elijah Caldwell. I don't think that it's going to be a whole event like it has been for Michael Smith and Cam Pringle so far this week. Heading into this whole commitment announcement, the finalists here are South Carolina and NC State. So what are my thoughts heading into this? I think that Elijah Cobble is going to be a Gamecock at the end of the day. I really don't think there's any chance, honestly, that NC State is going to get him here. Elijah Caldwell, let's make no mistake about it, 
being from the Rock Hill area, an area that, talking about recruiting, South Carolina has had a ton of success with historically in terms of that area. Getting that offer back on January 6th from South Carolina and seeing the reaction that he had on Twitter with the way that he posted it, I think just spoke volumes. I think it told everyone everything they needed to know. He's an in-state kid. He's someone that, as I've counted up to this point, only has five Power 5 offers. But the thing is, I truly do believe Elijah Caldwell is a diamond-in-the-rough type of prospect. And I'll break that down further, of course, if he ends up pledging to the Gamecocks at the end of the day. But this coaching staff has done a great job with him since they offered him back on January the 6th. They've had two... I believe, visits to his school up at Northwestern High School. The first visit was from Justin Stepp and Dow Loggins. Maybe even Shane Beamer joined in on it. But I know for certain that those two coaches were there the first time. And Justin Stepp, just to let him know just how much of a priority he is for this coaching staff, he came back a second time just a few days after that. So they've made it very clear to him. They want him. He's not like some last-minute addition that they're trying to make maybe because they missed on somebody. They really want Elijah Caldwell. They host him on an official visit, according to multiple outlets, this past weekend. And I would have to imagine that that went pretty well for Elijah Caldwell. So, again, needless to say, I don't think NC State's going to get him here. I think that this is all South Carolina in terms of Elijah Caldwell's recruitment. So, Assuming that he commits to the Gamecocks at the end of the day here, what would be the significance of an Elijah Caldwell commitment? Well, the first one is a simple one. The Gamecocks would be continuing to lock down the borders here of the state and keeping the in-state prospects home. Because I mentioned all the prospects that they had signed in the 2023 class and, of course, the players that they are heavily in the game for in 2024, all after just signing one of the top six prospects in the state from 2022. So again, South Carolina completely changing the narrative again in this regard and bringing it back to the glory days of when Steve Spurrier was here and making sure that the coaches and the players in the state know that we're going to prioritize you. And we are going to make sure that we give you reasons to stay home and don't give you reasons to go somewhere else. So that's one reason why this could be significant. The other reason, South Carolina, I've talked about the wide receiver position now a couple times on the show. I'm not going to dive too deeply into this, but I've mentioned before, I feel like that they need to start bringing in some more solid young talent at this wide receiver position. The Gamecocks have seemingly relied on already the experienced guys that were on the roster when they got here and also getting a couple of transfer portal additions. And again, that's all well and good, but you can't rely on that strategy forever. You still got to bring in young talent and you still got to be able to develop that talent as well. And if Elijah Caldwell commits to South Carolina, the Gamecocks at that point would have, in my opinion, a solid nucleus of guys that, again, Maybe they're not quite ready yet to play and be starters, but they have a lot of potential. And if given some time to develop, both in terms of the strength and conditioning program and also on the football field, could wind up being solid multi-year starters for the Gamecocks at some point in their career. And I'm talking about guys like Landon Sampson, Kylick Horton, and Kelton Henderson, those three especially, combining that with Elijah Caldwell. And of course, you got guys like C.J. Adams and Tyshawn Russell, who both also showed out in their own ways in their senior seasons in their high school football careers. So getting Elijah Caldwell 
would just add to that group. And it would give Justin Stepp a solid, again, young core that he could work with. And of course, the Gamecocks are going to be pursuing a lot of wide receivers in this 2024 class. I went over some of those guys that could be ones to watch moving forward on yesterday's show. So you can go back and check that out if you haven't already. But yes, th- this is something that needs to be done. And it would be a great sign if the Gamecocks could get Elijah Caldwell in terms of them trying to flip this wide receiver room, which is about to undergo a massive transition in terms of experienced and seasoned veterans walking out of the door. This kind of recruitment is very important in terms of trying to start accomplishing that objective. All right, so I've talked a lot about recruiting for the football program on today's show. And of course, we haven't arrived to spring practice yet, and we're not even less than a month away from spring practice. So let's talk about the men's basketball team because they did play on Wednesday night against the Florida Gators down in Gainesville. And needless to say, it was another ugly loss for South Carolina. Once again, they did not lead for a single second in this contest. I think every single SEC game now up to this point, the Gamecocks have either led the entire way or were losing all the way up until the final buzzer. So obviously, basically meaning that if South Carolina doesn't get off to a good enough start, then they're probably not going to be able to come back. And that's really what happened here in this game. They had a lot of bad turnovers and some really poor shooting offensively in the first half. And the second half... They did a little bit better in certain aspects, but, I mean, things just kind of snowballed. The defense really started to fall apart because Florida started to figure out how to attack their 1-3-1 zone that they were running at a much higher rate in last night's game compared to previous games. So, again, just another unfortunate showing here for Lamont Paris' team. So, I have three takeaways from this game. And with the first one, let's start off with Hayden Brown. Hayden Brown plays really hard. He gives everything that he's got on the floor every single time he steps out onto the court. You have to appreciate that. You have to respect that. And he's also the grittiest player on this team, as Lamont Paris has said multiple times before. He is the glue guy. He's the most seasoned guy on this team. And for some of these reasons, him playing as hard as he does is starting to hurt him. What I mean by that is this. Hayden Brown fouled out in nine minutes of action. Nine minutes. I don't know if I have ever seen that in a South Carolina men's basketball game. I have watched South Carolina men's basketball for a long time now. I think going all the way back to like 2008. So we're talking almost 15 years now. I don't think I've ever seen a player foul out as fast as Hayden Brown did on Wednesday night. He's averaging 3.6 fouls per game right now. He has got to cut that down. There's just no other way to put it. Hayden Brown is super important to this team. And I understand that Lamont Paris, of course, he wants his players to be aggressive. And he talks about that all the time to the media when he talks to us in his post-game press conferences. And when he talks to us in between games that take place. And that's all well and good. But there is a certain point where... It does start to hurt your team when you're a little bit too aggressive. And Hayden Brown is going through that right now. Defenses have figured out at this point, if you are trying to guard him in the post and you basically just sort of allow him to make contact with your upper chest and go down, you are going to get a charge call. And I got to be honest with you, referees are starting to key in on this. 
They really are. In the Florida game, I thought at least one or two of those charge calls, because I think Hayden Brown literally got two or three of them. I thought that a couple of them, quite honestly, were very ticky-tacky. And if anything, could have been a flop. But Hayden Brown has at this point built up the reputation to these referees that this is a guy that's going to get a lot of fouls. He's going to dish out a lot of contact. We got to watch him. Referees do that to a certain extent. They do. And Hayden Brown has got to recognize that. And he needs to know that if he's not out there with the team for three quarters of the game, practically, that is hurting the team. So obviously, again, it's not all on him. There's certainly times where he just sort of really gets the short end of the stick, to be honest with you, with some of these calls. But He's going to have to adjust how he's playing or else it's going to continue to really hurt this team going down the home stretch here in conference play. My second takeaway, Josh Gray, props to him. If anyone is going to get some major pats on the back after this game or if anyone should get any, it should be Josh Gray. I know that it hasn't always been pretty with the front court this season. Obviously, they've been very inconsistent. There's been some games where, obviously, the rebounding especially has not been good. Josh Gray, though, has been playing like a man on a mission the last couple games. He got 11 points and 13 rebounds in just 20 minutes against Florida on Wednesday night. He had 6 points and 8 rebounds in 21 minutes against Auburn last Saturday. And I asked Lamont Paris after the Auburn game, you know, what he thought led to that performance and how much it helps the team. And Lamont made it clear, it helps the team in so many ways when this front court has somebody that can go in there and be a presence on the glass and get to their spots, get themselves in good position. And Josh Gray is doing that. He's given constant effort, and he is playing just out of his mind recently, honestly. I think that he deserves to be put back in the starting lineup. I know that they've been going small ball, and I know some people might sit there and argue, Andrew, he's doing great coming off the bench. Why would you try to mess that up? Here's the thing. South Carolina is not getting off to good starts, so my argument would be, if that's what you're going to say, why would you want to go down 10, 12, 15 points running a small ball lineup that's obviously outmatched in terms of size before putting Josh Gray in the game? He needs to be starting this next game. And if I had to say... Anything regarding the Florida game, he probably should have been starting in that game too. It was not a fair matchup for Hayden Brown to go up against Colin Castleton, who had six inches on him and is like third in the country in terms of blocks per game. So Josh Gray, kudos to you, playing out of his mind right now. Really been a bright spot for this team recently. Last point, Gigi Jackson is embracing Lamont Paris's coaching. Again, we've kind of talked about this before. Lamont Paris has been asking his players to be aggressive by going to the basket. Felt like that some of these guys, especially early on in conference play, were just selling for too many jump shots. And the good news is, it seems like Gigi Jackson's really taking this to heart. Because especially when the game is close, and when South Carolina's in it, he's going to the basket. Even when he's got a matchup where it might not seem, you know, more than 50% ideal in his mind to go to the paint. He's still doing it. He is forcing the issue. He's finding himself making really good moves when he takes it to the basket. And he's drawing some fouls. Gigi Jackson is embracing Lamont Paris's coaching and his instruction. And obviously, when you're an 18-year-old kid, when you're someone that's got all the talent in the world, you know you're going on to the NBA later on this year. You're going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft, hopefully. And you're not going to be here very long. It's very easy for a kid to just sit there and say, you know what, coach? I appreciate what your suggestions are, but I'm not really going to listen to you, okay? I think that I know what is best for my game, and I'm not going to take anything you say seriously. 
it's easy for someone to sit there and act that way. But Gigi has not done that. Now, again, of course, he had his moment against Tennessee. Didn't rise to the occasion necessarily. Bad body language. After the game. All that stuff. But if you're going to criticize him some for that, you got to give him a ton of credit for bouncing back mentally. And it's clear he is really trying to adapt in that aspect. So props to Gigi here as well. And I think that he's becoming already a much better player because guys can't just expect him just to take jump shots now. They do now have to respect the fact that, hey, he is willing to take it to the basket. And he does have the ball skills to embarrass me if I don't respect it enough. So props to him that's my third takeaway from this game. One last point. Zachary Davis got a flagrant two foul with like 10 minutes left in this game. And I got to be honest, I thought that it was completely ludicrous. I would have understood a flagrant one. What basically happened was he got his arm grabbed while he was going to go up for an offensive rebound attempt. And the guy kept his hand on his arm like the entire time up and then going back down. And obviously, Zachary Davis, based on the replay, I think he definitely was frustrated. And I definitely do think that he gave a purposeful little forearm shove out and it wind up catching the guy right in the mouth. It wasn't like he knocked the guy down, but he gave a good little pop. I could have understood a flagrant one, but a flagrant two, especially considering the fact that the other guy was committing an action that could have possibly instigated that happening. I didn't think that was fair to Zachary Davis. I have, I feel like I've seen worse things get called flagrant ones and not flagrant twos. But because he got called for flagrant two now, I believe that his status for the next game is officially up in the air. I think that it comes down to the league office from the SEC and maybe even the NCAA in order to figure out if it's worth a suspension. I would be very surprised if it is. And I think that Lamont Paris tried to get in front of this in his press conference after the Florida game because he apologized for Zach Davis saying basically, you know, this isn't like Zach. Zach does not normally do this kind of thing because I think that Lamont knows he needs every available body that he can get in his rotation. Zachary Davis, he's a true freshman and yes, he's still growing and learning, but he's shown a lot of flashes this season and he's someone that really has a lot of potential on this team and Lamont does not want to lose a game of being able to develop him. He does not want it to, I think, probably mess up his psyche. If he does miss a game, he feels like he maybe lets the team down. And then, boom, next few games, he's just mentally out of it. You don't want to have that happen as the head coach. So I think it was smart by Lamont to do what he did after the game. Again, I felt like a flagrant two was completely unnecessary. But what do I know? I'm not an official. I wasn't there in person. So um, just, you know, thought that was a bit over the line, honestly. But with that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show as always. What are your thoughts on Shane Beamer and this coaching staff's overall recruiting strategy and how similar it is to the head ball coach and what all they did during his time here? What are your thoughts on Elijah Caldwell's impending announcement? Do you think he's going to be a Gamecock? What do you think it would do for South Carolina if they land him? And what did you think about the men's basketball game from Wednesday night? If you got any thoughts on all of that, let me know down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube or shoot me a direct message at A-Line underscore SC on Twitter and I'll try to respond to any comments you have as quickly as I see them. And of course, don't forget to make Locked On College Basketball your second listener watch that you have watched or listened to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.